You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. Our family operates a small business, happens to be in the transportation business. And I ran across uh, something the other day about small businesses, and it, it kind of struck me when I looked at the statistics for that. This is what it said. It said that 20% of the business startups of new businesses fail in the first year. By the end of year two, 30% or another 10%, 30% in total have failed by the end of year two. By the time that you get to year five, fully half of the small businesses that started have failed by the end of that fifth year. And when you get to year 10, 30% is all that are left standing. 70% have failed, 30% in fact have, is what's left standing. And it's estimated that the reasoning, the primary reason that that happens is that for, for these small business, these startups, they failed as a result of poor capital or poor cash management in one form or the other. Now, many of those small companies, they did not accurately count the cost. They didn't count the cost correctly to operate or especially to sustain a business. In our scripture today that we're going to talk about, we're in Luke 14, and we're going to pick it up at verse 25. If you happen to be online or have the U version, you can follow us there. My notes should be there. And this is where Jesus talks about the cost of following, the counting the cost of following him as a disciple. That's what we're going to talk about today. He knew that some would think that the cost was too high. When they assessed the cost and thought about the cost of following Christ, he knew that some would think the cost was too high. And they would give up, and guess what? And it's easy. You give up and you just slide back to the old life, that before you were a follower, before you were a believer. See, I think consciously and subconsciously, we often count the cost. When we're making a decision, we often often go through this process, consciously or, or subconsciously, of counting the cost when we're making choices. You know, you ask yourself, well, do I do this or do I not do that? Or maybe there's a choice. Is it going to be door A or door B. But see, what I'm doing is I'm establishing priorities for myself and oftentimes for our family and those that we love. But I'm, but, but these setting these priorities, boy, I tell you what, sometimes it is not easy. It just seems like that we often feel pressure and the lines that, that just become blurred between, between what should be the highest priority and maybe one that's not so high. It's difficult to sort things into rank order. In other words, let's say that you take your top five priorities or perhaps it's your top three priorities in life. And then you start with number one and say, this particular priority is my highest priority. And then you start to list those down. Now, when you're thinking about that, don't think about what others think you should do. Don't think what others believe your life should be or what your priorities should be. 
but be honest with yourself about what are your present priorities. We're talking about right now, sitting here today, 1030 in the morning. What are my priorities in my life? In fact, let's do that. Let's just take a minute and whether you just do it in your head, whether you write it on a piece of paper you can take with you, maybe put it in notes on your phone, whatever it is. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about what your top five, or maybe it's three, priorities in life. And I want you to put them in rank order. What's the most important? What's the second important, most important priority in my life? And what's the third most, let's say. So let's take a minute. I'm going to be quiet. Let's take a minute and go through that mental process. What are your priorities in rank order? Now what I want you to do is I want you to keep those close and I want you to be able to refer to them as we talk in a minute because what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna now go to God's word, Luke 14, verse 25, and we're gonna hear these are these are the words of Jesus being spoken now, folks. So here's what it is. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, this is what Jesus said. He said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate your father and mother, if you don't hate your wife and children, if you don't hate your brothers and sisters, yes, even if you don't hate your own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. I don't know about you, but boy, growing up, if I use that word, I got in Dutch pretty much. My mom was on me. And when I, th when I, to this day, if I, if I hear the word hate, for me, that's a, man, that's a strong word. And, and it's, it's interesting because not every version of the Bible uses that word, but most of them use the word hate. And it is a strong word. And I, I, I go, I ask myself, well, why, if I, if I'm a believer, if I'm going to follow Christ, why would I hate my parents? Why would I need to hate my children or my wife? I can't imagine or hate my siblings. Why would I do that? But when you go back and, and understand in the New Testament, it was written in, the, in, the, in a Greek format. Old Testament was Hebrew, New Testament's Greek. Written in that Greek format, and you go back and you chase the words in Greek back, then let me tell you what other derivatives of that word are. So when we think about hate, back in how it's listed in the Greek. It uses the word detest. That's still a strong word. But the other thing it says, it says it also can mean to love less, to love less, or to give favor to another over somebody else. So I really believe that appropriately what captures the gist of what Jesus is talking about here today is, is this. If you don't love your parents, if you don't love your family, your siblings, less than me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, hear it again. If you don't love them less than me, in other words, Jesus is saying, in the rank order business, I'm supposed to be above all that. Now, another thing that to me helps me understand that, that that's probably more an appropriate way of saying that rather than hating your family is the fact that in the Old Testament, one of the Ten Commandments is what? Honor your father and your mother. God's word is not inconsistent. You wouldn't, wouldn't have the inconsistency of, of honoring your father and mother. Oh, by the way, but when you get to the New Testament, now you can start to hate them. That's not the way it works out. David Gusick's an author and a theologian, and he said this. He said, 
the greatest threat to the best comes from the second best. The greatest threat to the best comes the second best. I see some young athletes sitting in here, and some of you realize that, that that's really the truth, isn't it? You might be the best that's on the field that day, but the greatest threat you have is when the person that you play might be the second best, because on any given day, maybe things switch around. Because it's easy to do in life, because when we think about the best, and the worst thing that can happen is this second best, it's easy for us in life for us to flip our priorities around. You know, life's going pretty smooth, and all of a sudden, whatever was our number one or number two, it gets displaced by something that seems to be more pressing at the moment. Then it goes on in verse 27, he said, And whoever does not carry their cross, and whoever does not carry their cross. I want to take a minute because some of you, uh, you've probably noticed it, but you may not know the story about the cross back here in the back. Take a look at it. Now, that cross has been with freedom a long time. We had a man that had gone one day, and he was taking some aluminum cans to sell, at, to a recycling place. So when he got to the recycling place, he was there changing the things. Well, he notices this cross out on a dump pile. And so he asked the guy, he said, so why do you have that cross on the dump pile? Well, the guy told him, he said, well, you know, he said, I, I don't like to go to church or anything, but he said, I just couldn't imagine destroying that cross. And so, believe me, that's, that's a lot of effort. For some of you, you've helped set it there, and you've moved it a time or two in the, in the life of this church. But that was a lot of effort, but he said, can I have it? Because what he did, that man, he rescued that cross off of the dump pile. Now, I don't have to go very far before you understand, oh, that's a metaphor too, isn't it? Because for many of us, that cross is what rescues us and takes us from a life without Jesus. Now, that cross, and see, I think what happens a lot of times in today's world, we think about the cross, and we think about it like a logo, okay? You know, even we've got t-shirts out here you'll see today, some new ones that we had made. And they'll and they, they have a cross on them. And I think a lot of times we look at a cross and we see it like a logo. It's something you put on a business card, maybe you put it on a sign, maybe you see it on the back window of some people's cars. But see, the people of the day, when Jesus is talking to these people, believe me, they understood what the cross was about. Many of those people had seen crucifixions. They had walked by people dying on a cross along the sides of the road. The Romans did that because they said, well, you know, one way we can keep these people in line is we let them see what it's like when you're not in line. They also had a situation where some of them even had people that they knew personally who had been crucified. And they understood when, when they saw that cross, believe me, it, you know, we kind of look at it today, it's kind of a logo for Christianity, right? When they saw that cross, they understood exactly what it meant because they knew that they had probably known or known of somebody that was there. So if you were consigned to carry a cross, if you were given the job to carry a cross, guess what? 
the people that saw you carrying that cross, they clearly understood they will not be coming back. It's a one-way trip. They're carrying that cross. Believe me, they are consigned to die. They are not coming back. But see, what's he say? He's telling us, he said, and whoever does not carry their cross, that's what verse 27 says. Now, the cross for each one of us is going to be different. Our lives are different. Our circumstances are different. The things we've done well and the things we've done terribly, those things are different. But see, Jesus spoke of, if you look at how that's written, it says, do not carry their cross. He's putting it in a personal context. He's putting it in a personal context. He's not talking about, well, you know, the person that uh, is, it's Brenda, that, you know. No, we're not talking about somebody else. He's saying, your particular cross, you're to pick that up and carry it. And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, there's a difference there because if you just think about carrying the cross, that's an active movement thing. It's probably some grammatical deal I could use to describe it, but I, don't, I wasn't that good in English. But, but the reality is, is when, when, when you are invited to follow Christ, then the next step in the process is the invitation itself, that doesn't do much for you. The reality is, is when we're invited to follow Christ, he's saying then you're also supposed to pick up your cross and you're supposed to do something active because that's the point you pick up your cross and start following me. I say, okay, but I'll take the invitation. I, I like the idea of having Jesus in my life, but then I never leave on the journey. I never take off. I never, I never take my cross and do what he's saying and go ahead and take that out into the world. In verse 28, it goes on, it says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if we had enough money to complete it? Sounds a little bit about like building a house today, doesn't it, Karen? It's reminding me that today people, they think about building, and then they go, Phew. they look at the building costs, and they say, I can't afford to do that. That's escalated so much. It says, for if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, and everyone sees it, and it will ridicule you, saying, that person began to build, and he wasn't able to finish. Verse 31, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And remember in those days, wars were all, or a lot of times, they were about how many troops can you put on the field? Because it was a messy business, and usually quantity made a difference but he said how many of you would would the 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000 men if he's not able he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace in the same way those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples and then he goes on he said salt is good but it loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again? How do you how do you put the salt back in the salt? How do you how do you do that? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. See other scriptures they talk about the fact you know and and I'd say that sometimes in my prayer you know that we're as Christians we're called to be salt and light. Well, salt you know it if you think about it 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 
it adds uh, necessary ingredients. It preserves. Salt's a preservative. It's a kind of thing that, that that salt in our lives, us being different, that flavor we have, that belief we have, is also what can offer eternity with Jesus to other people. But as believers, he's saying, you know what? If you were salt, but you lose your saltiness, if you're a Christian and you decide that I'm not going to carry my cross, that's not what we're supposed to do. And you know what? When we lose our saltiness, sometimes we actually can contaminate. We forget that sometimes. But, you know, if you're a believer and you decide that you're not going to do believer stuff and people see that, Boy, I tell you what, it contaminates our testimony so quick if we don't live out the things that we speak out. And then he goes on, he said, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. That, that's in Scripture a lot. Let it, you know, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. See, most people, and I hate to say it, but I think probably in America's churches it may be the same thing. Most people... They heard Jesus speak, but I don't think they really listened. And that's what he's saying. Because for many of them, what happened is they heard him speak, and he had these great moral terms and philosophies and good stories, and he was spellbinding the way he would speak to you and draw your attention in. But the reality is that for most of them, they would leave and go back to their daily routine. It didn't change their life. He was planting a seed, but they were making a choice for that seed not to grow in their heart and to be part of their everyday life and to carry their cross. See, carrying our cross doesn't come with just understanding a set of facts. Because there's a lot of people that intellectually, academically, they can talk about what, a, what being a Christian is about. But the reality of carrying a cross has less to do with a set of facts and it has mostly to do with yielding your life. That's what it's about. Jesus was asking us this. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to pick up your cross and I want you to make a one-way trip. Just like the people we talked about earlier. When they saw somebody carrying a cross, they understood that that's a one-way trip. They're not coming back. And see, that's, that's exactly what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to pick up our cross. You know, when we talk about the word repent, you know, you've heard the word repent. What's repent mean? Repent in its basic form is that you're going this way in life and you realize that this way in life, that is not the ordained, God-ordained way for you. And a repent is when you turn and go the opposite direction, right? And that's what he's saying. He said, that this is a one-way trip that you're taking. What you do is you turn your back on your old life, your maybe the ungodly life, the dumb stuff that you've done in the past, and you decide that I don't have to live that way. I'm going to pick up my cross. I'm going to carry it. I'm going to count for Jesus. So see, we do need to count the cost of following Jesus what the banner on my part of this scripture was about. We need to count the cost of following him. But I can guarantee you this, that that will be the best investment of your life. 
because you may have an IRA, and when you turn to be some age, you may start getting your money back out of the IRA. But guess what? Your IRA does not go with you when you pass from this earth. But the reality for us is that if we make investment, if we count the cost, and if we decide that we're going to follow Christ, that's an investment that it pays dividends for eternity. Some of you may have been at an athletic event, and you may have heard this said. Well, he might be number 12 in your program, but he's number one in my heart. Have anybody ever heard that? I've said it up. I don't know how many times. And see, that's exactly what Christ is asking us to do. He's asking us, he said, you have a priority list in your life. Okay, you guys made a priority list, right? So you go back now and you look at it and say, okay, well, what was number one? Well, was number one my children? Was it my job? Was it a new car? Was it my house? Because what he's asking us is said, I deserve to be number one. When he was talking earlier in scripture and he was saying that what you need to do is all this other stuff, you need to love less than you love me. And he wants us to pick up that cross. He wants it to be the one-way trip. So when we start to follow him, are we going to stub our toes? You bet. Are we going to do dumb stuff? You bet. Because we're humans. But the reality is if we have our eye on the prize, if we understand where we're heading, it's just like, it's like, it's like being on a trail. You get off the trail, but if you realize that, okay, I'm supposed to be heading toward that peak over there. That's my goal. I'm going toward that peak. Even if we get off of there a little bit, if we understand that that's where I'm focused, that's where I'm going, we won't be off of it very long and we get our life back together and we start saying, Lord, forgive me, I've gotten off the path, I've got my priorities messed up, what do you want me to do? Because here I come, I'm following your way, I'm taking the one-way trip and it will be well worth it. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us. I thank you. We're going to get to eat together. We're going to get to have some fellowship. May have to do it a little bit of a distance, Father. We understand all that, but my, I'm so thankful for this body of believers that we can share our joy together, our hurts together, that we can cry together, we can laugh together, we can pray for each other. Father, I, I thank you for all of those things you've done. And Lord, I just ask you that just as, as we go through this next little bit here, that while this is still fresh in our mind, Lord, Help me to consider what my priorities are. Because, boy, they can, they can get blurred in a hurry. And things that just seem like they're just so important, maybe they're important for a short window, but we're talking about something that is important for eternity. Help us, Lord, in our testimony to be uh, just that, that we will be salt, that we will be light, that we'll be on that one-way trip and you'll help us make it just as straight a path as you can, Lord, knowing we've got deviations and knowing that you're a gracious and loving God, Lord, but help us to be faithful. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonte Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, 
which is to love God, love others, and serve both.